This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get What's paid. good, fam? It's your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D to ED, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. Of course, we have a special show today. This is going to be phenomenal. And I have one of my good friends, one of my physicians with me today. Go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience. Hi, I'm Dr. Rosa Malloy Post. Um, I'm a second year emergency medicine resident at the Carolinas Medical Center Emergency Residency. Um, and I'm really excited to be here with you, Jimmy. Yeah, we're, we, I first got here, I was like, okay, what's something we can talk about? And what's something you're interested to kind of dive into? And we, we thought about like, what's a cool thing that no one's talked about yet. And then like a day or two before we did this, someone talked about it, but we're going to talk yes. about it a little differently. We're going to talk about a different study as well. So let's talk about methylene blue for refractory hypotension. Uh, we heard it before in other areas, again, for uh, methemoglobinemia, for some diagnostic stuff, a bunch of different things, but the cool part, the sexy topic mm. is going to be the use for refractory hypotension. We're tired of seeing these patients come in. We're starting these pressers. We're doing these different things. There may be something else we can use, but everyone's like, well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just wait for the ICU to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. That's the biggest thing is like, are, are we there yet? I don't know. But hopefully mm-hmm. by the end of this, we'll give you guys a different, just a pain, I, I, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just kind of get into some of the, the, the background Oh, again, tell us more about where you're, you're, you're from, and we know you're, you're a resident, but tell us more about where you're from, what's your favorite beer, all mm. those great things. So I'm originally from New York, uh, but I went to med school at the University of Colorado in Denver. And favorite beer, I like all swaths of beer. I like an IPA, I also like sours. I think my clinical interests, I'm interested in critical care. I'm interested in toxicology. I love pharmacology. If I could do it all over again, there's a chance I might have been a pharmacologist. Who's who's to say? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like all molecular biology, chemistry, all the nerdy stuff. So. Well, you fit right in here mm-hmm. at, at Farm So Hard. So we're super excited. Again, let's just kind of switch and kind of dive into some of like the historic uses. Cause I think we hear about this like it's a brand new drug, but we've been using this for a very, very long time again. Quick announcement for you guys. We'll be having the Empire Rx conference on April 26th and 27th in Charlotte, North Carolina at the industry suites there. Guys, it's going to be phenomenal. This is going to be the first time that we'll be able to have EM pharmacotherapy being highlighted for two straight days, and we can do it the way that we want to. We can do it to where the environment's going to be comfortable for you guys. No suits, no dress shoes, none of that good stuff. You're going to come there. You're going to collaborate. You're going to have a great time, and we're going to connect you guys in a way that's going to be unlike any other. Entertainment and education are going to come together for two straight days, and we're going to make it to where we're going to be the people that everyone's talking about, and we're going to be the benchmark for cool and exciting conferences. This is not just going to be pharmacists. There's going to be PAs. It's going to be physicians, nurses. Everyone's going to be there. It's going to be a huge environment, and I'm super excited for you guys. So make sure you guys go check this out at EmpireRx/conference.com, or just check the show notes, or just Google EmpireRx Conference. We made it to where. Everyone should be able to afford this. We've got considerable rates for uh, physicians. We've got considerable rates for pharmacists, pharmacy residents, and students. We've got separate prices for everyone. Again, this is going to be the best time. We get to select the prices, so we're not focused on that. We're just there to make sure you guys have a good time. So check us out. 
back in the early 19th century is one of the first synthetic drugs ever made. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of one of the cool part. Like what, what else have, has it been used for in the past? I mean, yeah, it was first inside in like 1876. It was used as a dye and then it kind of blew up in, in the late 1800s. It's used as antiseptic and anti-cancer agent and anti-malarial agent. And then the FDA approved it in, in 1959 for to treat methahemoglobinemia. And it's been studied since the 1980s on and off. There's been case reports, a little, a little smidgen here, a little smidgen there, about uh, discussing it in different hypotensive states, especially in vasoplegic and uh, distributive shock. Um, I think the most, at least historically, some of the, the the uses you'll see it most in has been in like post-cardiac surgeries. But that's, you know, it's been kind of gaining speed probably for the last few years in talking about is this, is this the fourth, is this the fourth presser? Is yeah. this the third presser? Is, yeah. you know, is this something that we can use when we've exhausted a lot of other things? Is this the new leave effect? Cause remember back in the day, it was like leave effect, leave him dead. Yeah. And now it's like the first line agent. Could methylene blue? It could. I know. Yeah. I mean, leave effect is literally, it's in the water in the emergency department. <laughs> like I, it's, it's hard for me not to even just like press the button to, <laughs> to, to just do it. So it's almost, it's almost as easy. For me to press the Levafed button as for me to do the Vanks Ocean button. But <laughs> thankfully, Jimmy has, you know, he's teaching me the ways to actually <laughs> use the $100,000 of uh, education I've had to actually use my brain to think critically about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's coming into vogue and there's a lot of questions. It's not a new drug. It's an old drug, but we're trying to figure out ways to, to take care of really, really sick people. And I think there's a lot more burgeoning information that's, mm helpful yeah so we start thinking about like why in the heck will we use this for 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 a lot of these people are septic shock people like why would we use it for a lot of these people and we start going back and kind of looking at the whole mechanism and stuff like that kind of walk us through like what do you think about when thinking about like how does this drug work i can get some comments on it but i kind of want to let this kind of be you know mm -hmm. what your, what's your thoughts of it yeah so i mean it it, it inhibits nitric oxide synthase and then what that does is it like scavenge all the nitric oxide, which is like a really, really potent um, vasodilator. Um, it also prevents nitrous oxide induced guanylate cyclase mm -hmm. activation, C CGMP production. And really nitric oxide, again, is just like, it's a smooth muscle relaxation vasodilator. So really in those states of vasoplegia and a distributive shock, that is really kind of the, the core tenement of, of this pathophysiology of that. And so this would directly combat, combat that and really work as a good peripheral vasoconstrictor. Yeah. When you think about like sepsis and all the different processes, I remember when I teach this to residents and students, like this is a very complex process of what's happening. And we know that that nitric oxide is going to be in impacted greatly amongst all the other things. And it makes sense to kind of target these things at the more of the cellular, cellular level as well. And this is one of the agents that we're not relying on an adrenergic system to kind of exactly. overcome, which exactly. is the cool part about this. So I always think of it as like we do vanxosin because we want to hit everything, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, with pressors, we're going to hit this same alpha receptor over, over and, and over, over again. And, over again. Yep. and hit this beta receptor a little bit. And that that's really it. That's really the cool part. Now we have angiotensin, but you know, we're not a very rich, fancy hospital. No. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're a fancy hospital, but I don't know if we are just, the pharmacy department will be okay with me recommending for us to give us a ton yeah. of angiotensin. So like, what else do we have, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the data for any of this is, it's questionable at best, but I think like 
the what we have is what you know in other therapies of of course would be um ant antibiotics and antibiotics early and mm-hmm. then of course steroids as well so yeah. i mean i think those are like core tenements of treating refractory sepsis but i think again those are general pieces and i think the presser piece is just a really more interesting nuance yeah where we we get we do need to figure out a way to to bypass the adrenergic re, adrenergic response yeah, yeah so we, we can have a lot of have a lot of acidosis a lot of internalization from these cells mm-hmm. again a lot of our pressures probably won't work as as well mm-hmm. so we, we we go through this process and i think everyone's on board with Give antibiotics really quickly. Give fluids when you can. Uh, give as much as you need to give. Again, I'm pretty sure some people that really goes back and forth about the amount of fluid and the fluid responsiveness and all this other crap. Give that. Give Clebifed. Start vaso seems to be the cool thing now, which is now moved up from, you know, being tied with epi to being like second line now for, for sepsis. And the reason we did that because we said Epi is hitting the same receptor yes. and doing the same thing. And the data is pretty pretty clear with that. Yes. Now the, the real question is: in a patient that again you throw your ultrasound probe on, you see a hyperdynamic heart, you still see a ton of you know uh, hypotension. Now what after again steroids is kind of that next piece that's mm-hmm. gaining some popularity. But I think this is where methylene blue has been discussed at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is maybe interesting, more interesting to some people than others, but I think this is where we're talking about it. And we're not talking about kind of revamping the whole, the whole pathway of uh, treating a uh, hypotentiment in septic shock patients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's been dabbled with critically ill patients before, of course, like what I was saying before with post cardiothoracic surgery, post cabbage patients. You know, I think there's been case reports about folks in decompted liver failure, which I think makes a lot of sense yep. pathophysiologically. And then certain drug toxicities, calcium channel blocker overdose, metformin toxicity. So I think we have a lot of a lot of room to play. Yeah, for sure. Because it seems like, again, before we really dive into the, the data, it just seems like across the board, there's a lot of very intriguing th- stuff out there, but it's not a ton of big, high quality trials. It's a, it's a lot of smaller observational, smaller RCTs, but mm-hmm. it's not all in the same condition. Like you mentioned, it may be calcium channel blockers, it may be something else, but I think we're getting to the point now where more people are hopefully after listening to this, more people will be excited about, let's look at a septic shock, let's look at it earlier, mm-hmm. potentially, mm-hmm. Uh, and see where, where we're going to go. So we're going to transition now into talking about a lot of the, a couple of studies that have been talking about. Here. All right, so let's get into the thing that everyone wants to talk about. You know, if we're, we're we're talking about these things and it seems interesting. What about the data? And I know my pharmacist, especially the ICU pharmacist, like Jimmy, you better bring some data. So just interesting stuff that came came out lately. We, we was talking before about this this new trial that came out that very recently, and you seem to like it pretty pretty much. So I just want to let you kind of just take it away and tell us about this this recent study that came out looking at methylene blue mm-hmm. in patients with septic shock. Yeah, so this was uh, published not too long ago in Crit Care. Um, it's by Ibarra Estrada et al. And it's called Early Addictive Methylene Blue in Patients with Septic Shock. It's a single-center, parallel, double-blind RTC. So again, this was in Mexico, a single-center, randomized, controlled trial. They took patients according to their sepsis-3 criteria and either put them in a methylene blue group or a placebo group. Um, and their primary outcome was time to vasopressor discontinuation at 28 days. And secondary outcome, outcomes included vasopressor-free days at 28 days, days on mechanical ventilation, length of stay in the ICU, and in 
length of stay in the hospital, and then mortality at 28 days. The inclusion criteria is that they had to initiate uh, methylene blue within the first 24 hours from time of uh, initiation of vasopressors. They had a broad exclusion criteria, but one of which was I thought was kind of interesting was uh, those were who are highly likely to die within the four, <laughs> first 48 hours, which for me is, we could talk a little bit about more of that later. People who take SSRIs in the last three or four weeks because uh, actually methylene blue is an MAOI inhibitor mm-hmm. and so it can um, precipitate serotonin syndrome, which also is kind of an interesting uh, conflict because some aspects of serotonin syndrome might be beneficial. We'll see. Um, and a lot of people in this country take SSRIs, pregnant patients, um, and then anybody who's displaying any sort of concomitant or alternative etiologies of shock, so that are not distributive or vasoplegic shock. I think they did a really nice job with how they defined adequate fluid resuscitation and had really nice, multi-times a day, they would redefine their, their fluid resuscitation, their response. So they weren't just you know, saying, okay, they weren't fluid responsive and then just continue up tight trading um, pressors. Everybody would start at vaso at a at fixed dose of 0.03 if they're, if they met a certain uh, levofed requirement. So if it was equal or greater to 0.25 uh, micrograms per kilogram per minute, and then everybody got 200 milligrams of hydrocort daily. So it's like a very nice, like sort of pretty standard sepsi- septic shock bundle mm-hmm. for the ICU. Um, at least in my very small experience. And so their, the intervention, uh, they did methylene blue. They did a hundred milligrams in 500 cc's of flu- in fluid over six hours for three doses. Um, and then the control was just 500 cc's of normal saline. Okay. The big piece, the primary outcome, they did show the methylene blue group did have a shorter time to okay. vasopressor discontinuation. It was 69 hours versus 94 hours, and that was statistically significant. Uh-huh. And then secondary outcomes, uh, in comparison to the control group, the methylene blue group, they had one more day of vasopressor-free days at day 28. They had a lower cumulative fluid balance by almost 750 cc's. They had a shorter ICU stay by a day and a half, and then they had a shorter hospital length of stay by two, almost three days. Oh, wow. All these things were significant. Things that were not significant, which are also <laughs> obviously very important to think about, is mortality. Yeah. Those were not significant. There was no significant change in adverse effects. So there was no adverse effects on um, cardiac function, PaO2 to FaO2, uh, uh, serum creatinine to bilirubin, um, or any of the uh, any bump in LFTs. So that's for me almost equally important. Is that there was no change or no difference between. Um, those two groups in and were damaged. Yeah. If you're looking for a guaranteed way to pass your BCMP exam, check out PACU Prep's six-week fast track program, 1,300 questions, a personalized fast track option to skip ahead of the things that you test well on and spend more time in our mastery modules on things that you need a little bit more help on. Check out the show notes for more information. And that's pretty cool. You think about all this because, like, realistically, we look at the study. It's an RCT. Mm-hmm. We're looking at ninety plus patients. We're not talking about a couple patients. Again, we had it in one center. So again, some people can make that a limitation, so to mm-hmm. say. But it's pretty cool to see that multiple interventions, you know, multiple outcomes, were actually statistically significant for mm-hmm. for methylene blue. Mm-hmm. And this was early for a lot of people. Yes. And I don't know. To me, this is something that makes me say, okay, we should probably look at this. And, and figure out what else we can do with this because like it really makes sense that if we can do methylene blue early, 
the data is pretty profound in this study, mm-hmm. we probably should start to to look at something else and see if we can start incorporating this a little bit more, researching it more. I don't know. It's, it's just, when I hear this study, it makes me very excited. Yeah, and I think like what's important for me is that there was no change in adverse outcomes for either group. So I feel like there's only, and, and maybe it's not what you'd call patient-centered benefit yet, but I mean, I think from just a systems perspective, if we can have people you know, be on less pressers for less time <laughs> to be in the ICU for less time yep. to be in the hospital for less time. Um, for those who survive and these, I mean, we're taking a swath of patients who are incredibly ill, yeah. who are very, very sick. And so I think even these pieces from like a logistic standpoint is it's, it's important. So I don't know, like yeah. I, if there's no, if there's really no significant change in, in end organ dysfunction yeah. in these sick patients, like these people are sick, let's, yeah. let's try, let's try something, yeah. right? And that's the question, like, should we, should this be something we just try a little sooner? Cause I remember basal press in one period of time wasn't just the, the go-to. Steroids was very controversial, still pretty controversial, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I'm not aware of any presser being able to show in just their primary outcome of just like a significant mortality benefit mm-hmm. up front. So again, comparing against other, other standards of care. So if the only thing that wasn't significant is the thing that's not significant for other pressers, we should probably start thinking about this. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we had a patient the other day and it's like we start going up on the adrenergic pressors. We mm-hmm. start going up on the levo, which is what you would naturally do. Mm-hmm. And then you start having tachydysrhythmias. Yeah. And so and then you're fighting a whole other yep. a whole other battle. Right. So you're kind of at this point where we're, we're starting to just it's it's. This is all just, we're just riffing off each other yeah. and figuring it out. And so if we have something that really is not showing significant adverse uh, events in a large swath of the population, like why can't we try it? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there are adverse effects, right? Like mm-hmm. it can cause like significant pulmonary vasoconstriction. So for our folks, mm-hmm. there are patients who have pulmonary hypertension, who have core problem, this might not be a great option. Yeah. For people who are on those SSRIs, SNRIs, maybe not the best option. People who have G6PD deficiency, which is actually like more common, um, at least in the, the folks around here, than, than we let on, like maybe it's not a good idea to do that. Yeah. But at the same time, like I gotta say, like I, I don't see the harm in trying it at yeah. least. And maybe people are gonna say I'm crazy, but, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a young buck and I'm just thinking crazy, but like, I don't know why, why not? I mean, and these are all, and this is for people who are very, very sick. Yeah. Um, and who are just not responsive to, to other therapies. Yeah, at least it'd be some, it's something we should start even thinking about, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it should be it should be a conversation. I know a lot of the pharmacists out there will look at it and say, like, again, we they've seen it in, you know, CT surgery or you know, CVICU and it hasn't they, they will feel it hasn't done too much for them. But it's something we should just look at, I, mm-hmm. I, I would say. So this this one study definitely has made me much more, you know, excited about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, and that's that's one word we can definitely say. It should make you excited, it should make you intrigued, it should make you want to study it. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one one part, but there's another. Again, this was that was the most recent that just came out not too long ago. There was another study that looked at this in a similar way. Of course, it wasn't as great because it was an RCT. Uh, but Naomi and colleagues in 20, 2022 actually had an observational study looking at about 223 patients that received methylene blue for refractory basal shock in ICU. Again, it's at one center. What they did was they looked at responders, and this was something that we've been trying to figure out who's going to do well. So responders was those that had an increase in 10% in their map within one or two hours of that methylene blue. They looked at, again, they looked at outcomes in responders versus non-responders. The cool part was they found that within their group, close to 40% of people were responders, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And 
and it wrongly had a non-significant, non-statistically significant trend of certain battle survival. Now, even a trend for me, I won't get too excited, but again, it had a trend at 21.6% versus 14.8%. The p-value was 0.19, so I can't get too excited about mm-hmm. that. But even thinking about other studies and, and sepsis, sepsis, that's a decent, you know, survival rate for, for the most part. It is not like some of these other trials where they have the placebo group or the intervention group has a mortality of 50 percent. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not what's smart. That's not what a lot of these other ICU studies are, no. are showing. This is kind of right in line. This what I thought was pretty cool, too. They had a subgroup of about 70 patients that was on continuous renal replacement, and they had a significantly lower mortality than the non-responders. Again, uh, again, the 63.6% versus 80, 89.2%. So I thought that was like super interesting. Hmm. These are the sickest of your sickest. Yes. If they're on CRT and ICU. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's not good. <laughs> these, are, good. these are the times where you're like, you have in the family meetings. It's, yes. it's just, it's, it's yes. tough. Yes. The cool part is like, when we looked at all of this again, there was no difference in gender, age, weight, illness severity or the dosing between responders and non-responders we just had to kind of figure out who who are those people mm-hmm. uh again i thought this is it is super intriguing when looking at this the responders did receive more fluid resuscitation and in 24 hours after mm-hmm. the methylene blue and part of that again is something i'm still kind of thinking thinking through but it's something that I want to kind of consider and comparing this study that kind of showed that, again, you have about 40 percent of your patient that responds well. And the dosing they were using was getting about close to 1.5 mm-hmm. mg per kg. Some of those patients got on drips as well and, and using close to like that one mg per kg per hour and that nature. So I thought this was intriguing. Uh, but long story short, this this group kind of showed that uh, methylene blue may improve outcomes in responders. Mm-hmm. Your show that it also, you know, show benefit in those patients and then potentially in those patients who are very sick, mm-hmm. the ones that's on continuous renal replacement, it may provide another benefit for them. So uh we probably should start looking at again the, the thing yeah. that this study said is early versus late administration and optimal dosing. Uh, that's where I think we are. So just looking at the data, uh it should make us all optimistic mm-hmm. at, at minimal. And that just really brings up the question, where do you see this used? Again, if you can take a crystal ball, go five years forward and say, well, I can get all the research in the world, where do you want to see this used? I mean, I think it's very much understood that there's not one quick fix to sepsis. Um, we've tried that, and that obviously yeah. doesn't work. There are tenants that you know we understand that are helpful. Um, and I think this is going to be, hopefully, something that's just part of a sepsis bundle mm-hmm. in five to 10 years. Hopefully if, you know, we have good data and we start having, you know, more people actually using it. Yep. I think that's where I would hope for it to go. I know there's limitations in cost, of course, but mm-hmm. um, I think, I think there's promise to um, at least starting to begin to think about doing more studies where we're using it and using it earlier. So I'm, I'm excited for yep. sure. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Again, this is not, we're not saying go out and start this right now. Um, but I, I will say go out and start studying it right now. Yeah. Like there's, there's a rush to start studying this. Everyone needs to be studying it. If we mm-hmm. can get the data we need published and have big groups of people. So there's a ton of collaboration we could be doing with di- mm-hmm. in different shops. I know like Megan Reck is one of the pharmacists that has her, her big group of people doing EM, EM pharmacy related studies. Again, a lot of people want to look at this. So if there is people who are intrigued, this is something we probably should be doing and it should be a rush a stat order for stat research order. on yes. on this right now. So uh, it, it needs to be in, in the tube station, sent, ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah. I'm excited, man. I, I, I think that, again, yeah. there's risk. You, you clearly mentioned them. 
we mentioned all, all of those things, but there's a lot of benefits that we probably didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And it's something we should at least be intrigued with. So all of my pharmacy residents that are looking for seminar topics or yeah. uh, different things to be done at conferences, like this is, this may be a topic that they should probably uh, look at. And I, I, I want to start making sure we look at, look at this in all subsets of people. So again, yeah. subgroups to figure out who's the best population. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like, at least for me, like, and, you know, in decompensated cirrhosis, yep. in a septic patient with decompensated cirrhosis, like I might, I, I don't know, like I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna try it, but like maybe I will because <laughs> those, as everyone knows, those patients are some of the sickest and hardest yep. to, hardest to treat. And so, and they will, they will perish in our emergency department. Yeah. So, um, if I can get ahead of the game with that, maybe, you know, maybe I'll try that. I don't know. Yep. So. So we kind of hit a ton of the things. So let's just wrap up. Any any closing things you want to go go away with from today? No, I mean I think it's just this is an exciting time to be in critical care and to be doing critical care in the emergency department. So I'm I'm very excited to see what comes what more comes of this for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on on, on the show. It's super excited to have you. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the only time we do this. Okay. So it's going to be exciting. Thanks to Dr. Fox for letting us use his phenomenal uh, location to to record this, and we we close out the same way we do with every episode. You don't have to be a pharmacist. You're going to work in ED, but everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Closes it. Ozzy scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there.